This episode of Adjust Your Tracking is brought to you by our friends over at Arrow Video, uh, the boutique Blu-ray and DVD label that has been very generous to this show and supported us uh, for, for a better part of a year now. So we thank them for supporting the show, making it possible. And I just wanted to highlight a couple of uh, new releases that they have out there, Arrow Video. Uh, and it's a, uh, a trio of 70s genre movies, uh, two of which kind of fall under the giallo Italian horror um, uh, genre. One is the Cat Nine Tales, Dario Argento's uh, second film, his follow-up to Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Can't wait to watch that. And also, uh, What Have They Done to Your Daughters, which is director Massimo Dallamano's uh, sort of sequel to What Have They Done to Solange, which is another really, really great uh, giallo. Also, how about a little uh, Kinji Fukasaku, uh, director of Battle Royale. He's probably best known known for, but he uh, made plenty of movies uh, building up to Battle Royale, one of which is 1972's Street Mobster, which uh, Arrow Video says is one of his pivotal works in the Yakuza movie genre. So those films are always super cool. Uh, I've enjoyed a lot of uh, Fukasaku's work. Um, so looking forward to catching up with this. And now I can because there's beautiful Blu-ray restorations. So thank you again to Arrow Video for supporting this episode of Adjust Your Tracking. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Joe, uh, I, I've been just just belaboring the start of this episode off mic. I, yeah, why, why are you so apprehensive? I don't know. I, I, I Maybe, I don't know. I, I had a birthday this weekend to, to just put that oh, out there. Oh, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm, you know, like, I'm going to pretend like I didn't know. I knew it was your birthday. Happy birthday again. <laughs> But ma- I don't know. I had I had a good time. There's a there's a wedding I attended. It was, I had a good weekend. I need to get my head back in the game, I guess, as it were. So maybe that's where the apprehension is, or maybe it's just that sure. we're gonna we're gonna walk into some some murky territory in in the cinema, I suppose, as well. Yeah, I had a friend recently say to me that it was just like nothing. Like everything is political right now. So it's like you know when you're when you're looking to avoid the minefield of political involvement and how loaded and uh frightening it is right now with how you know kind of extreme times have become it's you know like i can i can understand some apprehension but we're uh we're going to be talking about two films that like on paper uh, i thought that like it was before i saw either one of them but i thought that there was uh tragically some relevance to today which is you know i think two reasons the movies are out when they are um but they they both involve uh, white supremacy, unfortunately, and how horrifically relevant that still is, the concern with it, the terror of it. Um, and uh, But it was about uh, the two films. No, it's not a secret. It's uh, a <laughs> When you download it, you'll see what the two films are. But we're going <laughs> to... Uh, the Captain, which came out in Los Angeles this weekend, uh, black and white. Uh, Michael Haneke style plunge into the end of World War II, where a um, a private in the Nazi army is uh, he has deserted the the army and he's being essentially hunted through a sort of barren landscape, 
and then finds a captain's uniform, puts it on, and assumes the identity of a missing captain, who then everybody sort of falls in line and starts taking orders from him. And he, in order to play the part, he has to like take on these sort of like sinister qualities. And so from then, it's just a you know, it's a descent into hell. And, uh, and then, so the other movie is Black Klansman, Spike Lee's new joint. And uh, that opened this weekend. And so the two are kind of about infiltrating, uh, you know, what Black Klansman is about a Colorado uh, police detective who pretends to be uh, a white supremacist over the phone. This is a black detective um, and pretends to be a white supremacist over the phone wins the, uh, <laughs> the, the favor of one of a Lux clan member, and then has to set up a white counterpart to essentially play him in real life. And thus begins the, you know, crazy true story of, of, of this. And so to me, I connected the two because it was about like infiltrating, uh, you know, to sort of, uh, nefarious groups playing a um, role to, to yeah survive. playing a role yeah. assuming the role um they're both and true though stories. the movie mm-hmm, what's that they're both true stories yeah yeah oh, that, that was what was crazy by the end of the captain yeah was, i thought it was like i honestly thought it was just like a kind of crazy uh parable and i was like oh this is just like a this is a this is a good metaphor. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 it's a true story. It may still function as a metaphor, but it's like it's a true story. Like, oh Jesus, really? Yeah. So, so the two two true stories about infiltrating groups playing a role in watching both the movies. They have very little to do with each other tonally. There is like a kind of like uncomfortable uh, detachment into an absurdism in both films, but by and large black Klansman though a, it is like uh, still functions as a, you know, procedural. It is a lot more buoyant, a lot more uh, has some of that like, spikely kineticism to it that just like keeps it keeps it moving keeps it like crammed with just sort of lively dialogue whereas uh the captain is definitely a lot more patient shot in black and white uh just a lot more pumped full of existential dread which is primarily why i thought you might enjoy it after watching (laughs) the trailer i was just like oh eric loves dread him not being a sort of naturally dread uh, producing person in his actual personal life, he just loves to, as one of your ex girlfriends put it, vacation in crazy people's minds. Is that yeah, right? That is correct. I'm I'm honored you remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one. She it deserves was. credit for that. Totally. Um, <laughs> uh, so I just I thought I was in line with you, and mm-hmm. I don't know, like this 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 era that we we've were we find ourselves in like the era of being apprehensive about talking about anything political but everything is political so how do you get out of it and this like this era of horrific regression that we seem to be in where you take two you know what you would hope would be far in the rearview mirror of our culture and our history and how they directly mirror you know, frighteningly mirror what's going on right now to the point where both movies, no spoiler necessary, conclude with, you know, like contemporary footage of one of in the captain 
you see the characters still in costume driving through modern day Europe in in a in a military vehicle from World War II, and then yeah. kind of like in uh, assaulting and confronting you know like uh, modern people asking for their papers, riling them up, and then Black Klansmen, you know this the film opened on the one year anniversary of the Charlottesville kind of white nationalist March. And so it it ends with footage of that March and how far we haven't come in terms of like this being something that is still haunting us and something that we still have to confront violently, Mm. you know, and we're just, these are weirdly dire times. And, uh, I have a question for you, buddy. Yeah, please. Do you find it? Do you find it? Is it more depressing it that more Spike Lee? That's like a thing he's done in other like, movies. Malcolm uh, X. He shows the Rodney King beatings. I think at the end, he he likes to connect. Yeah. He likes to connect with sometimes just direct archival documentary footage, the modern right. day to whatever story he's telling. I mean, how do you? Because this is not to the detriment of Black Klansmen. I I like those stylistic Spike Lee ticks. This being one of them, mm-hmm. something he does, but. Gosh, I couldn't help but feel a little bit like, and again, this is the effectiveness of the movie too, but a feeling a little crushed that he still has to be that didactic or he is a didactic filmmaker sometimes, but like that, yeah. is, but well, it's still necessary. The, yeah. it, listening to the the sort of crowd last night, I got to see it at the Cinerama Dome at the Arclight with a, you know, a healthy sized audience. And like, I mean, the movie is, Spike Lee is, you know, he's nuanced, but he's not subtle a lot of the time. Definitely. And like, that's plenty of like what I love about him, his unsubtlety, his sort of like, cause why be subtle? Like why, why not kick off a movie with Rosie Perez dancing to public enemy? Why the <laughs> fuck not? Like, exactly. let's wake everybody up, you know? So, so he's, he's not subtle and, you know, but hearing like the writing work on the audience in terms of like, uh, there's a there's an exchange where the main character, played by Denzel Washington's son, am mm-hmm. I correct? Yes. Um, that's that that thrilled me today to find out. Like, yeah. I, was like I like kid, whoever he is. Oh, he's Denzel's son. Great. <laughs> um, so, so hearing he he has an exchange with one of uh, another a police officer who's kind of informing him who David Duke is. Um, and you know, he's one of, he's the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan during the period, which the film takes place, which is the late seventies and, um, talking about how like they're essentially kind of tailoring, uh, David Duke as a straight laced person who can normalize white supremacist, uh, concerns so he can therefore indoctrinate himself into politics and so they'll have like plants basically of like the, the, the white nationalist agenda in points of power throughout the country. And then uh, the main character, what's it? It's Ron Stallworth. Ron Stallworth says like, yeah, but America would never elect somebody like David Duke. And like, everybody's like, it's, it was sort of like akin to it, you know, three years ago in straight out of Compton when, um, I think it's Yella says, um, it was like, at least we got him on tape this time, you know, yeah. when they're talking about the Rodney King footage. And it was just like, this was after consecutive accounts of police shooting people on camera and having it amount to no movement in terms of like 
uh, like justice for the people who were murdered in cold blood. And so it was just like that sting of like the naivete of like, you know, decades ago and people being like, yeah, but we'd never, but we are, and here we are. And like, how do we break this? So like hearing that work on the audience was like, was really beautiful but there is some there is a sting to the conclusion of the movie where you're watching the actual footage that like as though it felt like too much we need it to be too much we need it to cuz it's like this is something that if we're asleep at the wheel and we just assume everything everybody has our best intentions at heart mm-hmm. they don't you know there are people mm-hmm. who are poisonously hateful that are asking to coexist when they you know it just doesn't I don't know. Like there's, it, it's terrifying. It's terrifying how far we haven't come, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, to your point that like, is it still, is it like sad that he still has to hold this mirror up of like, you know, then versus now and how we haven't really moved the meter at all or made much progress, unfortunately, or if we have made progress, progress, the yang to the yin of that progress is like, equally horrific you know it is um, to the the optimism of having felt like we've moved forward and and um go ahead go ahead please i was just gonna say like in i'm really actually glad you cited the scene you did it's it's like midway through the movie or so where Mm -hmm. uh ron stallworth is having the conversation with like a higher up officer and but that's one of the moments where the movie that i was really enjoying like sort of just getting lost in the actual um not that it had to be a genre movie but let's you know there are a major elements at play of black clansman that is like a cop undercover story right so mm-hmm. enjoying that enjoying ron stallworth sort of introduction in like you know the setting the movie itself that's where spike lee still it like loses me sometimes even in his best movies or movies that mostly work like chirac was guilty of this much much more but there would just be like the style and the energy that he brings that I love so much sort of stops dead and the movie stops in that scene. And it felt like, uh, I don't know in, in my memory, it's maybe a couple minutes long that scene, but it felt like really drawn out and sort of like, I don't know. It felt like not, not conveyed in an interesting way. And he's so good at like cinematic storytelling that that's that's the sort of stuff that becomes a little eye rolly for me in in this movie and like I said, Chirac, other films of his, he's it's all a part of this. He isn't a subtle filmmaker. I'm not. I don't want to dock him for being knock him for being the filmmaker he is. That's what I appreciate about Spike Lee, um, as you stated perfectly. But like that scene, sort of stopped the movie dead for me. But I I it's um I would have. I would tell you, I want to have the experience with this movie in a crowded theater if possible, because I saw it in a very minimally uh, packed, like not many film critics, an early screening. That was it. And it was just sort of like quiet throughout. So I would have loved to have gotten that energy because other moments in Black Klansman, and this is why I think it's one of Spike's like better movies of even the 2000s, I'd say. This is one of his just definitely like most energetic, interesting movies. But even the beginning the Alec Baldwin montage thing, which I didn't mm-hmm. know any, I hadn't heard about that. And I loved the idea of like, what movie am I in right now? You know, like that it didn't start with just a sort of biopicy opening to tell the true story. Yeah. That's another compliment I'll give black Klansman is it is not a typical biopic movie, which I appreciate always. But yeah, this Alec Baldwin absurdist, like, uh, 
See, that that to me is not subtle because Alec Baldwin in pop culture now is directly connected to Donald Trump. We don't have to literally okay. say it, you know? Yeah. And right. that and that scene plays cinematically because he plays with uh, you know, Gone with the Wind and previous like uh, problematic older films, like super problematic, like The Birth of a Nation comes up. This stuff is implanted really well in the movie. We we can draw the connections if we're into it. And I was in that opening, but certain elements just took me out of the story that I was enjoying so much. So like, um, I don't know. I still like, I'm always so, uh, I'm just really glad that Spike Lee's like getting this movie. Like this is a real kind of big movie, you know, and he hasn't been like granted a chance to do that in a long time. So lots to appreciate, but also some of that stuff takes me out of the movie, the filmmaking sometimes. Well, it's also like in talking about how like literally everything is political nowadays. Like every, every, like every song you listen to has some sort of weird politically political kind of agenda superimposed onto it. Mm -hmm. And just everything feels motivated by whatever side of the divisiveness we're sort of in right now. Mm-hmm. And like Spike Lee's always been the the busy kinetic filmmaker that you've like you've loved and been frustrated by. You know, at his most messy, like he can be kind of just like, ah, why is this not coalescing? However, at his messiest, I still think he's one of the most engagingly entertaining filmmakers we have. Definitely. Like, you know, a movie like He Got Game is like, it's messy. It's just yeah. all over the place. It's didactic, <laughs> but it's just like, Jesus, it's alive in a way that so few things are. And like, to me, he'll always get the benefit of the doubt because he has made, in my eyes, a perfect film with Do the Right Thing. He has yep. made great films beyond that, but he's made a masterpiece, one that like fits with a canon of like top 100 greatest films of all time. Yep. So... Like the limbo he kind of went into in the sort of mid to late 2000 or I'd say like late 2000s into like towards Chirac, basically, yeah. where it was like, you know, with Chirac, it got, you know, picked up by uh, Amazon and, you know, put out by them and it had a small theatrical run. And, you know, when I saw it, like next to no one was in the theater, like I'm, there was like noise made about the movie, but it didn't feel like anyone really saw it. Like even people who are fans of his, I would talk to and be like, well, did you see Chirac? Cause they were like, I don't know. Spike Lee hasn't made a good movie in a while. And as much as you can argue that movie's flawed to the point of being questionable, I think it still is like deeply discussion worthy in his Canon. And so yeah. like, he just like went into this weird limbo where it was either his movies were going either straight to VOD or were kind of middling in like small limited releases. And then, so we're at a point where, you know, people kind of like, there's the, the term, like the, the blank blank we need right now, whatever it is, you know, this is the web series we need right now because like, <laughs> You know, people do feel kind of like lost in terms of like the chaos that we're just sort of in the midst of. Yes. And so people need to like feel like there is a coherence in terms of like their concerns being articulated in art. And so like, you know, a movie like Get Out is a great movie. It's just on its own. It's like a great genre movie with like 
social concern, like the best horror movies are just great genre exercises that amplify a certain social concern and terror at the center of it. If that movie came out, um, you know, without the, the, like, let's say it was a alternate universe where Trump wasn't president. Have we ever said his name on, on my, beetle juicing him in the like no don't say his name but like if 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 that movie came out and we weren't under his regime um would it have had a different reaction probably not much of one because it's still a great movie but like because there was such a need to cling to your concerns being articulated in art you know, and like Black Klansman is the same way where it's like Spike Lee is still the great filmmaker he always was. Mm. Um, but like now there's there's like a horrific relevance to the stuff he's, you know, like he's he's working on and working towards. And I don't think it's an accident that like Jordan Peele was uh, a producer on this and Jason Blum was as well, who, you know, he produced Get Out. And so like the sort of overlap and the sort of need for sort of socially driven, you know, like it, I was just glad to have like, not just the need for concerns being articulated, but for it to actually be a, you know, an engaging, entertaining experience. Yeah. Entertaining feels like it's cheapening it, but like, honestly, like that's what makes Spike Lee such a dynamic filmmaker is that he, he makes these things that, or though he's unsubtle, he's able to communicate insanely complex things in a pop format with a tremendous amount of entertainment value, you know, like do the right thing communicates it like something impossible about our, our history of like racism as a country race relations communicates it like brilliantly in a movie that is so insanely entertaining that like, it's just like, it's, I, it's never like not engaging when I put it on. So like, it is good to have him back. Yeah. And then there's the captain. (laughs) (laughs) We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. There's lots to appreciate with the captain for sure. It's just black Klansman is, and I think this is one of the coolest things about it coming out in a dead time of the summer. August is like, the the very big big blockbusters are winding down. Although uh, I just aside found out the Meg cost a hundred and fifty million dollars to make, um, so that was a big blockbuster that got released. But that's shocking to me, by the way. Why would you spend that much on a giant shark movie? Um, but that's a question for when another sci- day. What's that? When sci-fi is doing it, when sci-fi is doing it for insanely cheap, and yeah. it's like, yeah, but that shark is a tornado. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. But Black Klansman is like a movie that's like, uh, it's, uh, you know, it hasn't been like a completely atypical summer. You know, the big movies made the most money, but there have been these little blips of like interesting, challenging, artful, uh, subversive, you know, like kind of middle finger movies, like getting attention. We've talked about a lot of them. Sorry to bother you. Blind spotting, even the like smaller docs, like RBG and, and, uh, won't you be my neighbor? Stuff like that has like made noise and done well this summer. And black Klansman is kind of continuing that. And it's not the big release, but yet people are talking about it. And I think that's, that's great. Like, because, um, I don't think Spike Lee has necessarily dropped off. I think he's just continued to make things with what he had in front of him. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I want to point out like how 
in Black Klansman, like some of the like the highs of the movie are like really joyous and kind of beautiful, actually. Like, um, yeah, there's this random kind of moment where we find out um, kind of early in the film as Ron Stallworth is infiltrating first a uh, he he gets his first gig undercover going to is it um, it was a real person that gave like a speech at a Black Power rally, yeah. right? Stokely Carmichael after he had changed his name to um, Kwame. Um, connection to Straight Outta Compton, the actor that played Dr. Dre played that guy. Corey Hawkins. Yeah, yeah. he's great. He <laughs> is great. You heard the you heard the point where he's talking about police violence, and someone in the crowd says, "Fuck the police." Like, oh, good. <laughs> See, good spike. Gosh, that was what Not I subtle. was. That's what I was lacking in my theatrical experience because this movie demands that it's built to have reactionary crowd stuff like that. Like that sounds really kind of awesome. I wish I had had that, but um. Well, no, no, I mean someone in the crowd of, like, in the actual film says, fuck the police. Like, oh, in yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. God damn it, you're right. I, I, if only somebody had, you know, the gut, though, to say, fuck the police in my crowd. True. I'm dead, you know, it's not above it. It's a rowdy crowd at the arc light sometimes. That's good, that's good. But that moment, right, where, like, Corey Hawkins is delivering this really thunderous speech, it's stuff we've seen in a Spike Lee movie. John Cusack does mm-hmm. a version of this in Chirac where it really stops the movie and takes over but this one it like i love the some of the choices he makes where he does like really beautiful almost portraiture of uh just like black faces in the crowd and it's really yeah yeah it's beautiful and i was like god that's the stuff i got started to get swept up in early in the movie and then Mm -hmm. um something bad happens to uh, a woman that ron stallworth connects up with they get pulled over by the police and as she relays this story about how she was you know, like groped and treated just terrible, you know, uh, experience. They sort of bizarrely like swing into this dance sequence. And this, uh, song I had not heard or thought about in a long time comes up. It's, uh, too late to turn back now by the Cornelius brothers. That is a magical moment. That is like why Spike Lee is everything we're talking about. What his, why he's a gifted filmmaker is like the movie stopped. And I just got to see like, um, you know, people enjoying themselves, black people, like just being joyous and dancing. And like that song is fucking great. So yeah, I, I just, the highs of this movie are really high and the complexities it delves into in an entertaining package is like, is something that I've kind of roller coastered with this movie. I think a couple weeks ago, I was like mm-hmm. questioning what I thought of it, but uh, to you, but like, I don't know. There's, there's, uh, the messiness is again something I'm appreciating uh, of the movie, you know. Yeah, he he's also like something that has become like a gripe for you and I in terms of like period pieces. Like this is a period piece that doesn't do all the things that kind of irk us a lot of the times. Like it doesn't call attention to technology and up. Look at how big this phone is, kind right. of a way. Like it's you know certainly there's like a flamboyance to you know some of the hairstyles and fashions but not even that much and like the the music choices are all pretty like unique like i i'm not overly familiar with that song that you're talking about in that scene like so it was just like it was a nice kind of like reveal moment that like sort of like unearthed this like piece of like history that like felt alive again you know, whereas like they're become kind of like overly tiresome, like sound cues in movies, like the go to period piece song now is like that there was one in like Inherent Vice. Uh, it's a can vitamin C yeah. is like and that's after it was used in that movie. It's been used in like four period pieces it's like, OK, Jesus, like, <sighs> please stop. 
they become just riffs on other period pieces. And like, in order for it to feel revelatory again, you really have to set the world up kind of like thoroughly. And you, you, you as a filmmaker, it's like, you know, your job to then like, just like create the world, which I think Spike Lee does really beautifully in this movie. It takes place in Colorado and it sort of makes use of like the landscape and sort of how isolated in the Rockies it is. And like, he's like a filmmaker that like, despite how kind of jarring and uh, of the kind of like MTV confrontational editing style that he, he is able to elicit there's a classic filmmaking quality to like so many of his movies. And that's in play in this as well. Like as much as like, he's uh, critical of the movies that he like uses clips of like gone with the wind and birth of a nation, how they like reinforced our, our sort of like horrific racist history. Mm. He able to like, like that, that kind of crane shot that they use in gone with the wind and the scene that he shows like he's so incredible at that. And like it with the DPs he uses, like there's such a like fluent moving camera quality to all of his films, like this one included, you know, just like the, the crane shots and like all like the, the way the sort of helicopter shot over the, the mountains at the beginning of black Klansmen. like mm-hmm. there's just, there's an elegance and a classical quality that as kind of jarring, and in your face and confrontational as he is so thrillingly able to be, there's like an elegance to his filmmaking that like gels somehow perfectly with it. And yeah, I was just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. He's, he's around. Love yeah. him. I mean, he, he's gonna, I think this is going to lead to him getting more high profile gigs uh, again, yeah. which is ridiculous that it even had to, that, but that it even had to happen. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that like, you know, we, we discussed the kind of like uh, upswell of, um, of like black filmmakers of like the late eighties into the early nineties and how, you know, he was like at the, the forefront of it with like a movie, like she's got to have it. It was successful. Like it was such a small movie budget wise and was so successful that like, I think people are just like, well, I don't, we don't know how this works. We don't, we clearly don't know like how you're tapping into what you're tapping into. So like, here's some money, go make your movie. And so he made school days and he made do the right thing. And they, they just started like this. There was an audience for it. And not that the audience was like, you know, lost, but like there was a certain kind of cultural momentum that maybe waned. And then he had to prove himself as like a commercial filmmaker, you know, with things like inside man and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. where he just made a straightforward, like thriller procedural with Denzel Washington, bless (laughs) his heart. Um, But like, you know, he's just like, he's gone through so many phases of his career and this, like, this seems to kind of like congeal a bunch. Cause this is like a, it, it is a genre movie to some extent, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a procedural. And so it's got those elements of just straightforward storytelling and, you know, just being a cop movie uh, with like an irreverence to it. And, uh, and riffing yeah, on so. like black exploitation, you know, genre elements. Yeah. They even have a, 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 not a speech, but a, there's a, some dialogue between Ron and uh, the love interest character in the movie where they, they talk about Superfly you know, differing mm-hmm. opinions. And I, I like how that he that's that feels like a real Spike Lee thing that was infused into this movie um, of just like bringing that cinematic history element to it, which isn't 
overtly at all a part of Ron Stallworth's story. But I kind of love that, you know, there's auteur touches like that that sometimes work against a story. But like this, these really sort of spoke to each other in an exciting way that that like really works for the movie for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So that's, you know, Black Landsman's out and will hopefully be, you know, it's doing really well. So, um, you know, like it's going to be around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, our, the other film we've mentioned this episode, the captain yeah, might not come to your city. We're not sure. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, know, it's, but- it's, it's a opening more and more cities kind of each week for the rest of this month. It looks like even into September is when it's coming to like theaters nearby me in Portland. So it is yeah. getting, it is, I mean, thankfully it is because, um, we're just broken records when we say this stuff, but, uh, deserves to really be i would love to take this is not a movie you're like i'm it does sort of fit the mcclanahan miserable algorithm that we've joked about you know like it definitely fits into many it checks many of those boxes but i'm not dying to see it again but god i i would to see it on a theater would be the way because it is for its own complete way like a very stylistic um and like beautifully framed film the black i'm starting to really appreciate this like digital black and white uh, cinematography, yeah. you know, and, and yeah, that movie has so it. rich and so just like so stark and like startling, you know, like at the very beginning of the movie, like there's just something there's something about uh, the how like this film is incredibly complex as well, just yes. in terms of like you're following a character who's just trying to survive, like he's being hunted by the army he used to belong to because he's deserted it in this sort of like uncertainty and chaos of the end of World War II. And so like he's a he's a Nazi soldier, but like he, he's just trying he's scrambling through the this like barren wood, you know, woods scenario. And so like you're immediately aligned with somebody you're like, he's just trying to survive. Like and so like there's if it's not sympathy, it's an understanding where like you're, you see what the character has to sort of like become in order to like survive. Mm. And that like, it starts to play in, like if you're reading, you know, contemporary relevance into it, you see like, you know, our political situation we're in where it was just like, in order for a political party to survive, it had to align itself even though it did for so long anyway, it had to align itself with a sort of naked hatred and xenophobia in order to re-situate itself and regain a power that had waned over years. Mm. And so like just thinking about like how, like what a person has to do in order, like he has the, the character of the sort of fraudulent captain has to do these terrible things in order to justify his position of fake power that he's in. And like, that just starts to feel like, Oh God, this is really horrific. Like world war two is, you know, horrifically not nearly far enough away in terms of like, you know, how it looms hideously large over our current situation, you know? And like the movie, like independent of all of that horrible relevance it has now, it's got a really like incredible ensemble of actors I'd never seen before. Like, you know, the main character is like, is pretty stunning. And, um, one of them was in the movie Victoria. Actually, I recognized him. He was, he's the love interest that Victoria in the movie falls for kind of, uh, that guy. 
Wait, is he is he like the sort of tough guy and yes. the captain? Yep, yep. Oh, he's great. Yes, he's he is. so good. <laughs> he is. Um, so yeah, this movie is just sort of like bold and like striking and like really hard to deal with. Like it's a it's a I think it was described by another critic as saying it was harrowing. So like it's not it it is that for sure. And so if you're up, you're, if you're up to the task, if you find yourself lining up with McClanahan's miserablest algorithm, uh, <laughs> if you if you loved hating this, you'll love, you know, so if it's, you it's if a, you were if you hated the tribe, go see the captain or, <laughs> or whatever. No, well, I mean, you you love the tribe. That's so true. I you, got it all wrong. So, yeah, I mean, this the filmmaker who directed it. Um, this is so weird. Robert Schwenke. Yeah, he he had made Red, which was a kind of, you know, interesting counterpoint to The Expendables, came out around the same time, had a bunch of sort of aging actors and this like pop movie about uh, kind of older action figures, Bruce Willis, uh, Helen Mirren, John Malkovich, Helen Mirren. Um, so, you know, maybe this slightly artier version of The Expendables or something like that. Um, didn't see it. Same. Didn't see <laughs> Didn't see his other movies. You saw Flight Plan, but he's like, by and large, a pop filmmaker. Like he's in, you know, a, a sort of like mainstream filmmaker. And like this, it, you know, like it doesn't feel like uh, someone trying on art house existentialism. Like it feels like he, this was definitely what he was gearing towards because it's so kind of like so masterfully created. So. Yeah, I wonder wonder what else is in store from this filmmaker. Yeah, that's what's we- that's what I meant by it's weird that he made it like never it, it like I had already written off Robert Schwenke because I was like, "Ah, oh, I've just seen one bad movie, Flight Plan. Like that's enough." And then he made mm-hmm. RIPD, which I never saw, but like that was a huge bomb. Like a yeah, big yeah. expensive summer movie and um yeah, this feels like somebody going back to their roots and like maybe doing something more in line or just trying to swing in a whole other direction. Whatever it is, it, it's that alone is fascinating that he made this film because this is totally in that festival movie, like, you know, Michael Haneke inspired aesthetic. It's, it's, it is in a similar vibe to something like The Tribe where, uh, yeah, you can find uh, a lot into it. It's not just a movie that like, mm, you'll scratch your chin and be like, yes. Like it's, it's more than just like eating your vegetables. The captain is actually like really cinematic. And, and, uh, yeah, when I, when I looked up who he was, I was, I was like taken aback, um, because of how different that movie is to what I know of, of Robert Schwenke. So, uh, never sell, never sell a filmmaker short, I suppose. And, you know, we haven't given an, as much um, time here talking about the captain, but uh, I think it's if you, you know, if people listening to this that would want to seek it out, that try to keep up with what's like good in in the foreign film releases, like this, they're not they're coming few and far between. I feel like these days. So uh, in terms of mm-hmm. like outside of a festival, so if you haven't seen the captain at a festival and you listen to the show, like it's probably worth your time if you can find it. Um, in a major city release or uh, eventually probably rentable on VOD. Uh, but yeah, uh, a theater would be a great place to see this thing. Cause um, yeah, it's, it's such a small movie, but um, deserves, a, deserves some eyeballs for sure. Yeah. 
You should, if you're if you're up for it. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's difficult, but if you love movies, if you love film, um, and you, yeah, and it doesn't have to feel like it's like vegetables. Like it's actually like t- entertaining is not the right word, but there's there's it's worth seeing this film. Like it's not just like homework. Um, that was something that I that I really appreciated. And yeah, I mean, it's it is a deep dive into a hellish existential dread as you said earlier but um yeah sometimes you got to go to you got to go to vacation uh in the crazy people's brains and just see what they yeah sometimes you need to take a break from the hellish existentialism of real life and just to know that it was you know just the same 50 plus years ago longer (laughs) than that let that cold damp blanket surround you (laughs) with not comfort yeah well Mm -hmm. what a lovely place to end this episode what do you think I think so. So just chill to the next episode. All right, we'll wrap this one up because we're doing this a little bit shorter and we're going to have another episode coming soon after. So uh, we'll just wrap up this one, episode 180 of Adjust Your Tracking. Uh, go see Black Klansman, go see The Captain. Uh, let us know what you think. And if so, you can email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. Find our episodes and those of our other shows on the Playlist Podcast Network over at theplaylist.net or your podcatcher of choice, just uh, look up the Playlist Podcast Network. Support all our shows, support us, give us some love on on iTunes if you're on there, that always helps. Um, Joe, anything else you want to throw out there? Um, I mean, Go I Go see Spike Lee movies, see Do the Right Thing if you've never seen it, for fuck's sake. Yeah, see, all, I was doing a sort of like inventory of all the Spike Lee movies I've seen in the theater, and I know we've he and I have had a good relationship in terms of uh, theater going. I've seen a lot of his stuff in the theater. Some some that I love a lot, uh, but never saw in the theaters, uh, sadly. But Twenty Fifth Hours, one I have always appreciated. Um, that when the levees broke, that he did for I think HBO, which yeah. is post Katrina. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most amazing things he's done. Uh, also not homework, you know, that is, that is a documentary that is sad and, and difficult to watch, but, um, really amazing. Uh, but yeah, he's, he just keeps working. Uh, gotta love spike for that. And many other reasons. I'm glad he's here. Me too. All right. Well, uh, thank you for that, Joe. Thank you for talking with me. Thanks, Spike Lee. Thanks, Eric. <laughs>